It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Robert W. Service just uh, said, (laughs) A promise made is a debt unpaid. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. You're not Jonathan. No, I'm not. Jonathan is away with his beautiful wife and son and daughter-in-law in in somewhere warm and fabulous. (laughs) Warm and fabulous. That sounds good. And I'm Kathy, sitting in for him. And thank you for joining us this morning, Kathy. It's great to have you here again. I love being here. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) We hear about it in between stops. (laughs) So, folks, uh, we want to thank you all for joining us today as well. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get ourselves started. Kathy, what is our subject? subject matter this morning that you are sitting in for Jonathan for? Well, our question today is, does God really keep his promises? And our theme text is taken from Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Promises, promises. Did you ever, did you ever stop to think about how much of our lives revolve around promises. There are promises at every level of life. Those made by a child to secure a privilege. Oh, Dad, I promise. (laughs) Those made when you agree to the conditions of your job. Those made between a man and a woman at marriage. Those made in political campaigns. Those are doozies. (laughs) Then there are the private promises we make to ourselves and to God. You know, we judge character by the keeping of promises. A promise keeper is a trustworthy person. Then there are the promises that God makes to us. And it seems like there are a lot of them. And to many people, it seems that God hasn't kept them. So the question for this morning really is, is God a trustworthy promise keeper? Yes. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week. No, no, no. I brought a whole bunch of questions on the book of Revelation I figured we could go over. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, actually, anyway, Kathy, uh, before we get started with this question, this is an important question, and it's kind of a bold question when you think about it. You know, why are you asking if God is a a trustworthy promise keeper? We'll get to the reason why we're asking that question in a moment. But, folks, we have kind of a special announcement to make here this morning. Today is kind of a special day. In some ways, it's a sad day. Uh, We've been live on Freedom 95 in Indiana since April 2009, and it's a little bit of a tough morning since this is our last live program on that station. We're moving to noon every Sunday on Freedom 95. It's going to be our 30-minute pre-produced program, and folks, we think you're going to love the format. We've done hundreds of episodes in this half-hour format in other markets and received great response. We'll be able to reach a larger audience at that time And we're really looking forward to bringing Indiana the continued conversation. We have a lot of exciting things happening in 2016 here in Christian Questions. We're a month or less away from an incredible new multimedia website. That's a major step forward. You can still listen to our Sunday morning live program on our app. 
Search Christian Questions Radio in your app stores. You can go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live. You can still do that Sunday mornings. We're launching a live podcast that will be airing online every week on a to-be-determined weeknight state night weeknight. Stay tuned for that, starting in the spring. And we also have many listeners from all over the country and the world that make our program a destination for biblical discussion like they've never experienced before. And Kathy, it's really cool because we do get responses from all over the world. And that's one of the reasons we're going to podcasting. It's a way to reach a larger audience uh, live. So, folks, we love starting conversations with listeners that reach out uh, to us online at ChristianQuestions.com, seeking answers and wanting to talk about the Bible and how it applies to topics today and in our past. Everybody get ready for Christian Questions digital broadcasting. This year we really look forward to meeting so many more people through our several different broadcasting platforms. So, Indiana, we love you. We're going to miss the live call-ins on our Sunday morning between 7 and 8. But guess what? Download the app. You can still listen live or go to the website and click Listen Live. Uh, wherever you are, and we still hope to hear from you through ChristianQuestions.com or our app. So, so people will st- well, you're still going to broadcast live Sunday yes, mornings. Yes. Okay, but you're adding an additional live program on a weeknight through the podcast. Yeah, that's going to take a couple of months. Okay. And uh, we'll see how that works. Doing the two programs, and we'll eventually probably go to podcasting. We'll see. Okay, so for people who aren't technological and don't like change, they have nothing to worry about. That's right. You go ChristianQuestions.com. Okay. If you're worried about things, it's ChristianQuestions.com. Very good. That's all you need to know. Okay. ChristianQuestions.com. All right, let's get back to the subject matter at hand. The question again is, is God a trustworthy promise keeper? The reason we're asking this question, it's not the kind of question I would think to ask. Nor I. But a listener wrote in with a question. And, and Kathy, just read a portion of, of what he wrote in. Why does God fail to help those in despair who believe in him and his promises? How does God reconcile his non-action to his promises in Psalm 89, verse 34, Joshua 23, verse 14, and John 14, 14, and Matthew 7, 8? When man makes a promise and breaks it, he is called a liar. Is God exempt from this label? See, this is a great question. And so what we want to do is go through those scriptures that our listener uh, wrote in and asked about and and try to understand them. So to get started, Fred, we we need to go to a soundbite here. Uh, This is from Trusting God's Promises on Go Good God from YouTube. It kind of gives us an introduction into the idea of promises and promise keeping. Do promises mean anything to anyone anymore? I know that when I was a child, a promise meant everything. Promises were unbreakable, and anyone who broke a promise became highly untrustworthy. It seems that as I grew up, I came to know many people who broke many promises. Maybe you too know someone who broke a promise. Maybe some of you have lived your whole lives surrounded by broken promises. Perhaps it was a parent who said, I promise I'll do this, I promise I'll do that, and then never did it. They broke their promise. Do you remember how heartbroken we were as children hearing a promise breaking? A promise breaking and a breaking heart make a very similar sound. It's almost as if a broken heart and a broken promise go hand in hand. 
That's heartbreaking just hearing <laughs> him say that. But it, it, that was a really powerful line that he said, a broken promise and a broken heart go hand in hand. And, and they really do. And that's why promises are so very important. And unfortunately, I think we live at a time where promises are, are minimized because talk, just just chatter, is so much more common than real heartfelt talk. And when... You know, when we were listening to that, I was watching you and about, you know, experiences. Uh, you've had experiences of broken promises in your life? Of course. And weren't very good? No. No, not at all. <laughs> so the idea is, does God break his promises? That's what we want to ask here this morning. So so let's, let's figure out. First of all, what is a promise? De- dictionary definition, what is it? A declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. So it's pretty simple. That's Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It simply means that you stand 100% 100 behind what you say. The problem is that doesn't mean so much anymore. It doesn't. And even in language today, if somebody's going to say something, it's really, truly... And, you know, honestly, and and so many other words are added. We live in this world of hyperbole. Yes. And, yeah. and everything is bigger and bigger. So you can't just say, I will do it. And whatever happened to that, to be right. able to say, I will do it, and having that carry such incredible weight, that case is closed. Right. So let, let, let's go to an example of that. I want to go to an example from a classic movie. I love this movie. If you've never <laughs> seen this movie, I'm telling you, you should watch it. It's called Hook. It came out in 1991 with Robin Williams. He played Peter Pan. And the story is that Peter Pan grew up finally and he forgot who he was. And his name is Peter Banning. And he is the, the story of Hook is his finding himself again. And this is... He is, this, this soundbite takes place, he's at his daughter's play, uh, and he's a businessman, he's, he's very, 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 very preoccupied with his business life, and he keeps forgetting his family. And of course, that's not what Peter Pan would do. So this is just a, a cool little soundbite about the importance of promise. Let's listen. <laughs> Yeah, I'm at my daughter's play. It's impossible. I'm on a plane to London tomorrow night with my family. A children's hospital. A children's hospital is dedicating an entire wing to Granny Wendy. Brad. Yes. You're missing it. All right. On a meeting tomorrow, a.m. Dad, my game. You promised. Listen, it's my son's big game. Last game of the season, Santa series. I gotta be there, I promise. So, we'll make it a short meeting. I'll be there, my word is my bond. Okay. So he says, my word is my bond. Ah. Uh, and of course, he ends up missing the game. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you... Spoken I, like a true mother right there. Ah. <laughs> uh. I go to so many sporting events with my children and you see parents sitting on the sideline with their phones and they're texting or looking at emails and it's just so sad. It is, it is. He says though, that, that line, he says, my word is my bond. Where does, I, I was interested, where did that phrase actually come from? So Kathy, we have a little bit of history on that. Well, my word is my bond. 
And you can look that up. My word is my bond. And it's from synagoguechm.com. Since 1801, the motto of the London Stock Exchange expressed in Latin, translated into English, and if you want to know what that Latin is, you have got to go to seek subscribe to CQ Rewind, <laughs> and the Latin will be there for you. Um, so, it means my word is my bond. This motto expressed the practice where agreements and transactions were made with no exchange of documents and no written pledges being given. The assurance was the integrity and word of the individual. People's livelihood depended on it. Their life was bound up in their word, and trust was not something to be taken lightly. So in the early 1800s, in the London Stock Exchange, there was no time to write up contracts. So they would make verbal agreements on the floor of the exchange, and they would abide by them. I love that. And we just have forgotten that. And it's interesting that that's the, that's the modern day uh, origin of that phrase, my word is my bond. But actually Numbers 30 verses 1 and 2 essentially tells us exactly the same thing. Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the word of the Lord. This is the word which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. He shall not violate his word. His word is his bond. So back in Numbers, we were told your word should be your bond. And isn't it so much easier that way? Our world is so busy now with contracts and lawsuits and just trying to prove what people said, what they should have said, what they meant, and then how they broke and it. And then people wriggling out of it and so forth. And we're and so, so busy with that. Just tell the truth. It's easier. It's more <laughs> simple. It is. God tells us that his word is always reliable. The following scriptures are all from our listeners' question. And we're going to just cite them here, Kathy, and then we're going to go into them in detail in the next few segments. Joshua twenty three fourteen. Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. That's a pretty steep promise there. John fourteen fourteen. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 7, 8. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who, find, he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Pretty cut and dry. God offers, and we can help ourselves. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Really? <laughs> this is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. Today we're discussing, does God really keep his promises? Coming up, what's the secret to getting your prayers answered? There's got to be a secret. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. 
Our subject today is, Does God Really Keep His Promises? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to download our free Christian Questions app. You need to have the app. The app is the is the is the key to the kingdom, <laughs> <laughs> the Christian Questions kingdom. There's a lot there that you can use uh, through the app. And also, don't forget ChristianQuestions.com. And folks, again, for those of you listening at uh, Freedom 95, this is our last Sunday morning broadcasting on Freedom 95. However, we will be broadcasting beginning next week uh, a pre-produced uh, program at noon on Sundays. So uh, it's a half-hour program, fast-moving program. So we want you, we want to encourage you to tune in there. But if you want to continue listening live Sunday mornings, it's ChristianQuestions.com or get the Christian Questions app and listen through that. Okay, so we want to focus in on the question that a listener asked about how come God doesn't keep his promises? That's really what he was saying. He's saying, and he cited several scriptures. Right. So we want to look at the scriptures that he cited as evidence of God not keeping his promises and really examine them and see, well, what's the story? And let, let's really figure out what the story is. One of the scriptures he mentioned was Joshua twenty three fourteen. So, So, Kathy, read that. I, we read it last segment, but read it again. Not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Okay, so that's a great assurance. Yes, it is. That not one, God's word is his bond. Not one word has failed you. And in Joshua, now Joshua is, is actually um, dying. At this point, mm-hmm. these, these are his last words of right. encouragement. Right. And he's saying, God has always been there for you. Don't forget this. It seems to me that it would be very good to define who the you is. Yes. And the whole context of, of who he's speaking to. Okay, we're going to do that in a second. Okay. But first I want to go to another soundbite because, you know, th- there are several ways to, to try to get God to, to fulfill his promises. I hate this soundbite. <laughs> One of the ways is to really try and work along with the guidelines that God sets for us. Another way is to <laughs> sort of demand it of God. And that's what this soundbite is. All right, let's see this how is, this works. This is a very demanding, uh, uh, fist-pounding type of soundbite uh, from a, uh, a YouTube channel, WN.com. He's challenging God. And right there, you ha- I, I have an issue. But and it makes my blood boil. Let's listen. I challenge God. I challenge you to do the things that you have promised the righteous in your so-called holy scripture. I challenge you to do those things right now because we have been waiting. Well, not me, but these believers. Well, I'm included because at one time, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Muhammad. I believe in Allah. I believe in Jehovah. I believe in Yahweh. I believe in God. But my faith in God became broken because I saw that my prayers and my righteousness, although righteousness is good for me, but I saw my behaviors and activity 
my will to bow down to this so-called supreme being going for naught. It meant nothing. Wow. Whoa. Well, you know, I really appreciate how Jesus taught us when confronted with these situations, we should answer from the word of God. That's right. And Romans 11.35 says, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And it makes me think that um, God's promises can stir up pride in us that God owes us. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe they can, they're supposed to stir up our faith. Well, and, and that's the thing. What are God's promises stirring up in you? And that right. will tell you uh, really how well God is going to answer your prayers. I mean, if you're telling God, I, I'm demanding right now that you answer, that you listen to me <laughs> right here, right now. I mean, it's backwards. It, it, it's, shouldn't God be an- demanding we answer him rather than him answering us? So that's, but that's an attitude. And a lot of people look at God and say, well, look, where is he? You know, my, my, my daughter Emily, her, her boyfriend, uh, listens to the program, and he said to Emily the other day, and she, she texted this to me, she said, yeah, he said, um, you know, why don't you just have God call in? It would make things so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, let, let's put that on the shelf and come back to that a little later. Let's look okay. at Joshua, though, okay? The context of the promise that you read before, you know, not one word that God has spoken is, has gone unfulfilled. Joshua's dying. He's giving the people his very last perspective. So we're going to go through Joshua 23, verses uh, 6 through 13, and then we're going to go through 14 and 15 as well, but we're going to break it up into pieces. Oh, this is good. Okay. Okay. Be very firm, then, to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. Okay, so Joshua is saying, be firm, cling to the Lord your God. So God's favor is clearly... To those, and you said, who are the those? Right. Okay. His favor is clearly to those who live according to his ways with firmness and tenacity. And not only does he tell them what to do, but he tells them what to avoid also. Right. Don't allow these other things in. Do these things instead. Yes. Well, let's continue. Uh, Verses 11 through 13. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So in the first part you really saw God's favor and now we're seeing God's displeasure is clearly focused on those who do not follow through in living his goodness. So there is, if you want to be in the context of receiving every good word from God always coming through, mm-hmm. you have to step up. That's what these verses are saying. Joshua is saying, don't forget what the most important thing is. Well, that's like any good parent. You give your kids guidelines and, you know, you will prosper if you listen to me. And if you don't, these are the consequences. You can tell Kathy's a tough mom. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's continue now. Joshua 23, 14 and 15. 
Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. Okay, so Joshua is saying, I'm dying. Okay. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So this is really kind of interesting. And this is why you have to read the context of a verse. Mm -hmm. Because if you pick a verse... Out of the scriptures, and, and you know, that last soundbite, I get the feeling, I don't know for sure, so this is just, this is speculation on my part, but the individual speaking, I get the feeling he would look at a few little things here and there and pick out what he really liked and say, this is what I demand from God. Mm. Not really looking at, well, what's the context of what God demanded to be able to give you such blessing? And here, in this verse, the great promise of not one word of God has failed you comes just before he says, if you don't do all this, he's going to destroy you from off of this good <laughs> land. So, so there is a, there's an accountability to be able to have God keep his promises to us. Right. So it's not just a one-way street. No. It is absolutely a two-way street. God is as good as his word. He does keep his promise both positive and positive. And negative, and, and Kathy, this verse has both kinds of promises. Exactly. He says, I'm going to wipe you out if you don't listen. But that's because he loves them and he cares about them and he wants what's best for them. So, and what's best for them, just like what's best for us, is to live a life that honors God at every turn. Right. That's what he's telling them. And he's telling them that the natural consequence of living a God-dishonoring life is going to be trouble. And I also really like that these are promises from God, but he doesn't say, I really, truly, super duper promise. He just <laughs> says, I will do this. I pinky swear promise <laughs> to you, right? This is not, God Almighty doesn't have to pinky swear. What he does is he states his intention, his promise, and his conditions. Right. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So, we've gone through the Joshua scripture, and we found out there's a whole lot in that scripture that helps us to understand there's great conditions for having God fulfill every word that he speaks to us. Right. And he's already talking to people that he's in covenant relationship with. This is to the Jewish right. nation. Right. So that, that's an important point, is that he's talking to those who already know who he is right. and have already displayed the propensity to be able to follow him. Right. So that is a condition of God keeping his promises. All right, so we've got a promise lesson here. We've got several promise lessons as we go through this. What's our first promise lesson? We should not expect goodness and blessing when we are not all in, in our pursuit of God's will. So if you want God's blessing and God's goodness and God's promises in your life, wonderful. The question is, are you all in? in following after God's will and God's principles, not just on Sunday, 
but on every day of your life. And that reminds me of one of my most all-time favorite scriptures, Psalm 37, 4, that says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will answer your prayers. Give you the desires of your heart. Yes. So, and, and that's an amazing, powerful tool to have. Mm-hmm. So how do you get there? Well, we'll go okay. through we'll go through several other other uh, aspects here. We're going to go to a, a series of sound bites. This is by John Jorgensen. This folks, you got to stay with us for the 2 hours. This is an inspiring inspiring story that he talks about. Uh, this is the introduction. It's called The Wall, a hopeless situation. So here's the introduction. We're going to keep coming back to this each segment as he rounds out the inspiring story of, of a God who truly does care. Let's listen. The wall at Jericho was an impenetrable force to any army that was trying to overtake the city. Before even dealing with the wall, the attacking troops would have to navigate their way across a 27-foot wide, 9-foot deep pit that lined the outer edges of the city. Then there was the wall itself, 17-foot high, 5-foot thick, pure mass of solid stone. If the attacking army managed to get this far without being shot down by archers, all that was left was to defeat the well-trained Canaanite army that was waiting within. This was the reality for a young leader named Joshua and his ragtag Israelite army. These Israelites, who had seen an entire generation live and die while wandering through the desert, were tired, hungry, and facing what seemed like an impossible task, a hopeless situation. So you've got, now God had promised they could take Jericho. Yes. But you see this huge wall and you say, no way. Doesn't he paint a beautiful picture? Yeah, he, he makes does. that real. And just wait. Just wait. Oh. Okay. So let's get on to the next scripture that our listener wrote in and mentioned in, in his challenging uh, God keeping his promises. And that was 80, uh, Psalm eighty nine thirty four. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. All right. So again, God is saying, I, what I say, I do, period, end of statement. So let's go to the context of that. The context of that scripture, and that is our theme text for our program. This psalm is using David as a picture of Jesus Christ. Okay, and it okay. becomes very evident when we look through some of the context here. Let's read Psalm 89, 20 to 36. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. God standing up. (laughs) My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And in my name his horn will be exalted. There's exaltation coming. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Honor and power right there. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. All roses, right? Glory, honor, Power, everything big, everything good, everything promised. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing, does God really keep his promises? 
coming up. If God loves us so much and is so powerful, why does he allow seemingly hopeless situations? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. Our subject today is, does God really keep his promises? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. Don't forget to interact with us on our Facebook or tweet us at CQNet Radio. And, uh, Kathy, just a quick announcement. Folks, we've been live on Freedom 95 in Indiana since April 2009, and it's kind of a tough morning today since this is our last live broadcast on that station. We're moving to noon every Sunday on Freedom 95. It's going to be our 30-minute pre-produced program. We think you're going to love the format. We've done hundreds of those episodes uh, in other places with some really, really wonderful response. There's a lot of wonderful things happening here at Christian Questions in 2016. We're a month or less away from an incredible new multimedia website. That's a major step forward. Uh, You can still listen live to our Sunday morning broadcast by going to ChristianQuestions.com and clicking Listen Live or through the app. Uh, which you can search for at, in your app store. We're also la- launching a live podcast that will be airing online every week on a night to be determined. Stay tuned for that. That's coming up soon. So folks in Indiana, we love you as a live audience. We're going to miss that live audience interaction on Sunday mornings between 7 and 8. But remember, the Christian Questions app and ChristianQuestions.com are the ways to stay with us. So thank you so much. Indiana for all that you've done for us and uh, stay with us. We're, we're not going away. We're just changing a format. Right. Okay. Back to the story. In Psalm 89, we just read at the last segment, it was all glory and honor and greatness. God is, is promising, piling wonderful promise upon wonderful promise upon wonderful promise. Yes. It, it sounds awesome. Right. And, you know, we said that that was a picture of Jesus. Right. Now let's le- read another scripture <laughs> that describes Jesus. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 7. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. That does not fit in with the promises in Psalm 89. No, it doesn't. And you know, I was thinking that you did another program on the prophecies about Jesus and what would happen to him. And it was dealing with Psalm 22. Yes. And I went to your website, and in your search engine, I typed in Psalm 22. And voila, blam there. Blam. Blam. I think in, uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, But sound effects. I have sound effects in my thinking. That's what I was trying to think of. But anyway, um, it, it came up with the program from April 4th, 2015, and the title of the program was Jesus Lives. And Psalm 22 wasn't even in the, the theme scripture, and yet it found what I was thinking. Oh, Your good. Your website is awesome. Well, it's getting better. And you can find it at ChristianQuestions.com. There you go. So, you have this scripture that 
completely contradicts all the glory in Psalm 89. And yet we know this was the path that Jesus went through. Let's go quickly to a short soundbite from Trusting God's Promise about pessimism and how pessimism comes to be in relation to promises. Perhaps today we've become so tired of having our hearts broken so often by so many broken promises that we have come to disbelieve in the validity of a promise. The ultimate pessimist is made by too many broken promises. And sometimes what we see is God's unfinished work and we interpret it as a broken promise. You could see the scriptures in Isaiah that you just read about Jesus and the torture and the torment he went through. And you can interpret that as a broken promise. Because at that moment, that's what it looked like. Psalm 89 was all glory and honor given to Jesus. And Isaiah 53 is all torment and torture after the, the, the glory and honor scripture. You say, well, how can it be both? But So you have to realize there's got to be more to the story. There's got to be a longer process. God's promises aren't just these little quick little ditties that we are so... It's not a text. Okay? <laughs> it's not just a thought that you text to someone. Right. It's a predetermined plan. That's what God's promises are. Let's go back to Psalm 89. Let's pick up with verses 29 to 36. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. So in the beginning of the psalm, earlier in the psalm was about Jesus and all glory and honor and all of that. But here there's a different tone. For those who are the beneficiaries of God's mercy here in these verses... Through the sacrifice of Jesus, there needs to be a threshold of obedience for them to individually benefit. And Kathy, that's the key to getting the benefit of God's promise in every single case, is there's a threshold of obedience to be able to be in line with what God is saying he will do for us. That makes perfect sense. And if we are not aligning ourselves his way, right. in his time, with his conditions, why would, it, would, he, would we expect his promise to apply to us? Right, exactly. So, so <laughs> it's not about me, it's about him. Right. Let's continue. Psalm 89, verses 33 to 36. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. You know, you look at that, his descendants shall endure forever, and you know, you know, Jesus died. <laughs> and you say, well, wait, how could that be the fulfillment of a promise? Because that was the unfinished story right. of the promise. Oh. And folks, that's why we need to see God's promises as much bigger than anything we can consider from, our, from ourselves. And that, that one soundbite where the guy was ranting and raving, mm-hmm. he's demanding. He's acting like a little child, demanding that I want it right now because I'm righteous. And I find it very faith-strengthening that God is so patient with us. And he gives us all the time we need to develop in, in his way. And that's the key. Again, if we don't align ourselves with the will of God, we cannot be in line for the promises of God. Right. And I think about even to Noah. He said, I will destroy everyone and everything, build an ark. 
and he waited 120 years yeah, for God, Noah to finish God that God is very, arc. very long-suffering. So now let's take a look at a glimpse of Psalm 89 promise fulfilled, Philippians 2, 8 through 10. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So there's the fulfillment. You put the death and the resurrection together, you get the big picture, and voila, like you said before, <laughs> the promise of God is in place and intact. But the interesting thing about the Psalm 89 promise is that was made to Jesus. So, you know, when you look at that, you can't say, well, I should expect that. No, that was Jesus that expected that. Mm. Different, different story. Promise lesson based on the Psalm 89. God's promises sometimes take a very long time to fulfill, but are worth the wait. And if we don't remember that, then we will be sorely disappointed. Mm -hmm. Just that's the way it goes. Let's go back to John Jorgensen, The Wall, A Hopeless Situation. Remember he was talking about the Wall of Jericho? Yes. And how it looked completely hopeless for them to be able to take that city. Well, there's a whole lot more hopelessness he's going to talk about. <laughs> now, I haven't lived very long. But I've lived long enough to know this, that running into walls is a part of life. And the bigger the wall, the more hopeless the situation can seem. The large walls of sickness, loss, divorce, addiction, they pop up all around us and they seem impenetrable. And just like the wall at Jericho, these walls rarely stand alone. The walls of our lives are often accompanied by a deep pit of pain suffering and despair and all the while an army of hopelessness attacks us on every side the question is asked all the time if God loves us so much and is so powerful then how could he allow these walls to pop up around me now I don't pretend to have the answer to any of those questions nor do I pretend to understand just how deep or dark your suffering has been I simply want to suggest that maybe God does his best work from seemingly hopeless situations. That's a powerful suggestion because it's the time it takes for God's will to unfold that makes the promises so powerful. Mm. And God does keep his promises. Absolutely does. Uh, Kathy, just a quick mention. We've gotten several uh, uh, emails from, from the app that uh, the listening feature of the app is not working at this moment. And that is true. We've got people working on it. I don't have an answer except to go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live. You can listen that way. But, of course, okay. if you're trying to listen on the app, you can't hear me saying that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you, if you have the app and you want to listen on the app, you can do it later today. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's get now to Matthew 7, verse 8. How do we get to this kind of a promise? Because this is another one that our listener mentioned in his letter. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Uh, wait, 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 just read 7, 8 first, just the verse be, uh, above it. Oh, I'm sorry. This is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, spoken to Jesus' true followers. The verse above that. <laughs> above that there, sister. Matthew 7, <laughs> verse 8. There you go. All right. All okay. Right. <laughs> For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. That sounds like an open-ended invitation. And this is for everyone. This is not just for Jesus. Jesus spoke this. So you're saying, well, who's the everyone? I mean, who gets this? Who asks, receives, seeks, knocks? 
It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, as you mentioned. It was spoken to Jesus' true followers while in the company of the multitudes. Jesus is telling us what we are being, uh, that, that we are being carefully watched. Okay, so let's look at the context and figure out why Jesus gives us such an incredible promise here. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go to 7 through 11. Okay, now you want me to read this part. Yes. Okay, got it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is being harsh. He's being for- firm. He's being clear. He's saying, look, you've got to get your- yourself right mm. before God. And so now that we're thoroughly warned about standing apart from sinful thinking, now the promise can come. So he's saying, get yourself right And now let's see what he says after that. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? So there are conditions involved in our being in line for such a promise as this. So what's our promise lesson here? We're almost out of time for this hour. To live as a true disciple of Christ dramatically changes what we would ask God for. And that is such an important thing. If you are living as a true disciple, what you ask for is going to be different than if you're just sort of testing the waters. It's a matter of being in line with God's will through Jesus, not just examining God's will through Jesus. Too often, those of us who want promises fulfilled will examine it and say, well, this looks good. Let me try it out. See if it works for me. Folks, that's not the way to get God's promises in your life. The way to get God's promises in your life to work is to see if you can work for Him and then his promises will in turn work back for you. In the second hour, we're going to go further with understanding how God's promises work, what they mean, what we can do to put ourselves in line so we can be recipients of that. So for Kathy and Rick and Christian questions, God is a promise keeper. In the second hour, we're going to firmly establish that, so please stay with us. We'll be back after the news and all that, but till then, God promises and you. What's the connection? We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. S. Chellis once wrote, It is not the oath that makes us believe the man, but the man the oath. And boy, does that hold true. Good morning. Welcome back. I'm Rick, sitting here with Kathy in for Jonathan. And this is not your typical Christian commentary. We'll look at Bible-related topics from a different 
perspective. And Kathy, what is the subject matter at hand for today? Today's question is, does God really keep his promises? And our theme text is Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. So, does God really keep his promises? We are addressing that particular question. It's kind of like a strange question because we're saying to, you know, we're challenging. Is God a trustworthy, promise-keeping God? Well, I love how you not only say, you know, an unequivocal yes, but you also go back and show it and prove it from the scriptures and, and teach people how we came to that yes. Right. Right, and, and we're asking this question because a listener wrote in with a very detailed question, listed several scriptures, which he said, you know, if we didn't keep our promises like God doesn't, we'd be called liars. Is God exempt from such a, a label? And I would say, yes, God is exempt from such a label because he keeps his promises. Right. The thing about God's promises to remember is they are specific And because they're specific, they can be very dynamic. And we're going to get to that in a moment. There were three promise lessons, though, from the first hour. Kathy, what are they? Number one, we should not expect goodness and blessing when we are not all in in our pursuit of God's will. you got to be all in to get anything out. Number two, God's promises sometimes take a very long time to fulfill but are worth the wait. You think about it. God is eternal. He's got time. (laughs) We are impatient. We need to learn to appreciate time. And see it from his perspective. Very much so. Number three, to live as a true disciple of Christ dramatically changes what we would ask God for. And that, we're going to build on that one because there's a lot more to that particular promise. Let's go back to uh, another soundbite. This is from, this is uh, from Go Good God, Trusting God's Promises. And it gives us a sense on what to look at in terms of developing our trust in God's promises. We must listen to God's voice in the same way that Jesus listened to the voice of our Heavenly Father. He listened to God's voice with the trust of a child. The way many of us used to believe that promises were meant to be kept by a trustworthy promise maker. Even when Jesus cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, he did so with the trust of a child. He trusted in the promise of God. He trusted that those who suffer will be satisfied in the love of God. He trusted that those who seek God will praise him. He trusted that the entire world will turn to God. Every family will worship him. So... It's telling us, he's telling us, look, if you want to trust in God, you have to follow the example of Jesus. And that's a great, great uh, piece of advice. Jesus trusted with that childlike trust, and he went through some pretty awful things because of that childlike trust. That's true. It reminds me of a a little story from a friend who was telling me about his daughter-in-law putting her grand, his grandchildren to bed at night, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And the mom said to the five-year-old, if my words don't help you be act like a good boy, you can ask God to help you. And so the three-year-old quickly knelt down at the end of the bed and said, Dear God, I want a Tyrannosaurus Rex Transformer. And he opened his eyes and said, Where is it? <laughs> Sometimes we act like the three-year-old. <laughs> we want what we want. Where is it? But what faith? <laughs> <laughs> 
and and you know that that's a that's a that's a good example but it's also a good example of what we are not to do in our faith absolutely and and, and let's get to the next promise you know john fourteen fourteen. do not let your heart be troubled believe first in- read john fourteen fourteen. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You have this aversion to reading just that little promise first. I don't know. We're going to have to work on that. <laughs> I have too much stuff scribbled all over my paper. Oh, okay. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is a powerful statement. If you ask me anything, Tyrannosaurus Rex Transformer, <laughs> anything in my name, I will do it. So now, here's the thing. And at the end of the last hour, we kind of rushed through the Matthew 7 yes, scriptures because it says everyone who asks, seeks and finds and so forth. And here it says, if you ask in my name. So we've got the everyone and the you. Who are the everyone and the you? Well, they're lumped together with the word, the verb, ask. So it's the people who are asking. So those people, the only ones that can ask are the ones that have a relationship with the person they're asking. And those are the ones that Jesus is specifically talking to here. He's specifically talking to his truest followers. He's not talking to the, the vast majority of everybody else. And, you know, we need to look at this from the, through, the, through the eyes of what the Bible is and who the Bible is for. The New Testament is written for the benefit of the true followers of Christ. Yes? Yes. So... Folks, this is bad news for many of you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. If you are not a true follower of Christ, if you have not dedicated your life to following in the footsteps of Jesus, then the New Testament is not written for you. But it doesn't mean that you can't be one of those followers. And it doesn't mean you can't get good things out of it and wonderful principles to live by. But when it comes to the promises of God... Those promises are for those particular individuals. So if you are reading the New Testament casually and trying to figure it out and just sort of being intellectual about it, I want to let you know you're reading somebody else's mail, Mm -hmm. and it's permissible, and it's actually uh, advisable to do so, but you're not going to be the recipient of who the letters were written to. Of the things that they're supposed to get. That sounds fair. It is fair. Of course it's fair. But you can still learn some wonderful, wonderful things. So let's go to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 15. We're going to break this up. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. Let's continue right right through the end of verse 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Okay, so Jesus, this is the night before his crucifixion. He's talking to his truest followers. And there's a great extension of faith that Jesus is asking for. He's asking that they be willing to unquestioningly follow him into spiritual but unknown quarters. He's asking them to step out and be willing to say, okay, wherever it is you're going, we're going to go. We don't understand, but we're going there anyway. So he's asking for great, great, great uh, application of faith in their lives. Okay. This is not an easy thing. Now, let's, let's finish up these verses, then we'll go to the phones. Uh, Matthew, I'm sorry, John chapter 8. Let's go verses uh, 8 
John chapter 14. Let's go verses 8 through, through 11. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? These words that I have said to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So Jesus is again provoking them to a high level of faith. He's saying you have to believe things and you have to act on what you believe. It's not just a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. Faith provokes action. And so in order to be in line for the promise, you have to have the action. You have to, you have to live the words. So let's finish those verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And, and here's the thing, folks. What does it mean to ask in his name? Well, I like the, the follow-up. Um, part that says so that the father may be glorified in the son and to me so often when when people pray you hear these like the man challenging God it was so self-centered show me it was all about me right no glory to God glory to me right so asking in Jesus name is not just using the word See, that's the thing. It's just like my word is my bond. There's something deeper involved here. Jesus had just explained what would be expected of them regarding their faith and their actions as disciples, as those who live in accordance with his name. So to ask in his name is an outgrowth of living his name. Right, like the commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. If you call yourself a Christian... Act like a Christian, live like a Christian. So what we're saying is to ask in Jesus' name means you are living Jesus' name. Right. Not just using the word. That's not what it means. So (laughs) when Jesus makes this promise, ask anything in my name and it will be done, is what is the mirror saying about what you're asking? Who is asking? Is it someone living Jesus' name or is it someone just borrowing the name for convenience sake so they can try to get something? And, you know, the, the previous verses you read in Matthew about seek and you will find. Well, what are you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Right. Are you looking for your own will or are you looking for God's will? Right, right. Uh, Kathy, let's go to the phones. I believe we have Julius on the line. Good morning, Julius. Welcome to Christian Questions. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Hey, how Hi, are you? Julius. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much. Not to take anything away from Jonathan, but I think it's a nice change once in a while to have an email. <laughs> uh, uh, Rick, you're uh, an equal opportunity employer. Uh, yeah, we try to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, does God keep his promises? Yes, indeed. And I try to be... You know where I go, punctuality to me is a great thing. And uh, because God is my role model, 
I try and, uh, to be very punctual. Okay. Yes, indeed, he is to be studied and appreciated. And uh, I, I uh, am grateful for his promises, which he always keeps. Thank you. God bless. Thanks, Julius. We appreciate your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, now, now that's an interesting point. He says God is punctual. And you think about that and you say, okay, God is always on time. Yes, he is. But his on time can sometimes take a thousand years. Right. So we have to appreciate God's punctuality and the length of time it takes for him to arrive exactly when he's supposed to and do the things exactly like he promised. So what, what's our promise lesson here from the John 14 scriptures? To ask in Jesus' name carries with it the requirement to live in Jesus' name, to represent him in your every day. A prayer from such a one will surely be answered. So it's a matter of living in Jesus' name. Uh, Kathy, let's go back to a soundbite from the wall. Remember the hopeless situation, the yeah. wall of Jericho? Good. And then he talked about the walls that are in our lives and the difficulties that we face by facing those walls. Well, now he's going to expand it even further to a lot of hopelessness. I cannot find a single person who walked faithfully with God without first facing a hopeless situation. Adam and Eve ruined paradise by inviting sin and death into a perfect world. A hopeless case. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers for his pride and put in prison. A hopeless case. Moses was cornered on the banks of the Red Sea with the most powerful army in the world, breathing down his neck, a hopeless case. Gideon was 300 against 300,000. David stood across the valley from a bloodthirsty giant. Esther was a woman trying to gain a word with a prideful king. Daniel's roommate was a lion. His friends were thrown in an oven. Jonah sucked at his job and got stuck in a whale. Peter was a coward. Paul was imprisoned. The 5,000 had no food. Lazarus was dead. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. The youngest son was too stupid. The walls of Jericho were too strong. And Jesus was humiliated, hung on a cross, and buried in a tomb, burying all hopes of the revolution that was hoped for for thousands of years. A lot of hopeless stuff going on there. A lot of hopelessness. And so we've got the idea of God's promises, and then we've got the idea of hopelessness. We're really going to have to test all of this out. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. Today we're discussing, does God really keep his promises? How exactly does God help us escape our trials? Coming up, Rick is going to share a really cool personal story. Stay with us. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy, sitting in for Jonathan, here with Rick. Our subject today is, does God really keep his promises? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And now you can message us on your smartphone app 
during the live program. Okay, so uh, before we get, I mentioned at the end of the last segment, we're going to need to test this. We're going to need to test the idea of God's promises really working for those who are truly seeking him. So in order to do that, let's first go to our next phone call because I think that will introduce the idea of how to really test this in a practical way. I think we have Carol from Connecticut on the line. Good morning, Carol. Welcome to Christian Questions. Um, I work with children, and um, I want to know how we can explain to, uh, to parents that lose their kids through cancer, or, and we pray, and they pray so hard, and I pray for everyone that has cancer, and kids especially. How do you tell, how does, after praying so hard for your child to, um, how do you say, beat this disease, and then God takes them, why did he, why, if I say, why couldn't he have healed them and not put them through this, especially kids, especially little kids who don't deserve to be, um, you know, and God's good. Is there a reason he took them because they were going to suffer in later life? How do you explain that to a parent? Carol, that's a massive, massive question. It's <laughs> a good question. It's going to take us this whole segment to answer it. So, so I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to ask you to 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 um, hang up and listen in. Okay, I and, will. And we're going to deal with this question in some detail. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for asking, Carol. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. You know, she, she. This is really putting things in a, in a context of okay. Here's where the rubber meets the road. What do you do? How, why would God allow those kinds of things? And, and, and th- there's, there's a lot to this. Okay, I'm going to work my way up to answering the question. Okay, this All is right? a tough one. So, Kathy, I'm going to ask you to go down and read 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is a promise, okay? And then we're going to go back and look at the context, and then we're going to look at the definitions of how it works, and I think this is going to help us answer that particular question. Okay. Go ahead. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Okay, so the context of this verse is the apostle recounting the errant experiences and attitudes of Israel after their exodus from Egypt. They did a lot of things wrong. And he's recounting them for Christians. Paul listed some of their failures, their, their, their craving evil things, their idolatry, their immorality, their tempting God, their grumbling. And then he says, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, before verse 13, the promise you just read, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So, Perhaps Paul is saying that just as Israel was delivered from the evil slavery of Egypt and were therefore essentially homeless, so we, having been delivered from the slavery of sin, are also homeless in this world and susceptible to the same failures as, as, as uh, uh, Israel was. I don't get it. So, in other words, they were, they were given great miracles, they were given great deliverance, but they were wandering. Okay. And in their wandering, their humanity was homeless. So their wandering caused a lot of the difficulties. Okay. And so we have been delivered from sin. But our home is supposed to be in heaven. Uh-huh. So we're homeless until we get there. So we're still in the human form. We're still frail. We're still broken. And we perhaps are susceptible, just like them, to our, our minds wandering places they ought not to go. Okay. Very good. I get it. Okay. Thank you. So now you get this promise that no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted above that you are able, but will provide a way of escape. 
that you might be able to bear it. So first of all, let's define this. What does it mean? It says there's no temptation overtaking you. What does the word temptation mean? A putting to proof. Okay. So it's kind of like a testing, a putting to proof. A temptation is a testing. Yes. Okay. So now I want to start to, to shift Carol's question into this, a testing. All right. And it says now he's going to provide a way of escape. What does a way of escape mean? An exit. Now, when you exit the building, you left, right? Right. You know? Yeah. So that means you're, you, you, you've walked away from it. Yes. But then he says that you might be able to bear it or to endure it. What does it mean to endure? To bear from underneath. So if you walked away, shouldn't you have to not bear it anymore? Right. I don't get it. Right. And you shouldn't get it because okay. it doesn't make sense on the surface. It really, okay. it's like, what? And you're going to explain this to well, us? We're going to try. Okay. <laughs> we're going to try really okay. hard. Okay. So, so a way of escape to endure seems to be contradictory. So, so what does it mean? Because if there's a way of escape, you shouldn't have to endure it. It should be over. Right. But that's not what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. He's not saying that the way of escape means you don't have to, to, to endure it anymore. He's saying the way of escape is a way to endure. Ooh. That's where the story comes in. My, okay. my, my oh, son, I can't wait to hear My that. son is in the Coast Guard, and several years ago, seven, eight years ago now, uh, he was in boot camp. And during boot camp, they break you down like you just would not believe. And during that experience, he would write me letters. And, you know, they, were, they, were, they would be very short. You could see they were scribbled because they had no time for anything. And he would talk to me about things. He would ask me for input. He'd ask me for scriptures because they, it was just this quiet little little situation. After boot camp, I sat with him, and, and he explained a lot of what they went through. And the utter physical agony that these men were dragged through. And I asked him, I said, Tim, all right. How do you bear it? How do you deal with such excruciating physical pain and such mental demands and such emotional uh, trauma? Because all of it's happening all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he said, and he looked at me and he kind of smiled and he said, you learn to embrace the pain. I said, what do you mean? He said, you stop fighting it. You stop fighting it. You accept it as this is why I'm here and it becomes a part of you and that gives you the strength to be able to bear it. And I think that's what God is saying in this promise. He's not saying that he's going to take the trial away from us. But he's saying he's going to give us the escape by helping us understand that it's part of the process, part of the contract, so we can carry the weight of it with a purpose in mind. You see, if you're carrying misery without purpose, without hope, it will defeat you. But if you're going through misery with purpose and hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So you're sitting at the edge of your child's deathbed. Yes. What do you do? What you do is you ask God for the strength to bear the burden. That if it's his will, because we don't know God's will in these things. God is not going to heal children in this age. Every sick child will be resurrected and given life in the next age. No matter what. I don't care where they come from. Every human being gets that opportunity. But now it's not the time for healing. It is not. What it's the time for is a time for faith and a time for perseverance and a time for obedience. So you sit there and you ask for the strength to deal with this. And if you embrace the pain as God's overruling power in your life, 
even, and this, this sounds horrible, but even if it means the death of a child, what you find is strength through that. So you don't pray, heal my child. That is not a proper prayer. What you can pray is you can, you can and I would advise this, you cry to the Lord, God, I want my child to be healed. Okay. And that's okay. All right. But what I would always end with, always, is what Jesus did, what Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Yes. And so if we accept that a child's life, if it ends tragically, is not the end. It is not the end. That's why Jesus came. That's God's biggest promise ever is, the, is, is Jesus coming and, and executing God's will to ransom all of sinful mankind out of sin to resurrection. So the end of a child's life in tragedy is just the end of a chapter. It's not the end of their life. That child will live again. God promised. Jesus made it happen. So to bear it, we can pray for the strength. We can pray for wisdom to see it from God's perspective. We can pray for faith in his promise of his glorious kingdom in those type of things. Yes. I okay. believe that's exactly the way we need to look at it. We're not, we don't have time to read it, but Romans um, eight fifteen to 18 talks about crying to God and, and calling out Abba, Father, because sometimes we don't even know what we should be praying for. And yet, we have to have those things focused in, in our hearts and in our minds. The way of escape. You know, he shall provide a way of escape. What's the way of escape when you're dealing with a sick child or something very, very tragic in your life? It's to embrace the experience as for our good. Not to have it dissolve into thin air, but to have the testing be one of a priceless value to our lives. And then... If we can gain the priceless value in our lives, we can share that priceless value with other lives. And you can teach others how to bear the pain, how to embrace the pain of the trial, the boot camp experience, so that we can see God's promises gloriously fulfilled. Mm. Because, you know, God didn't promise that he was going to heal every sick child. He didn't promise that. He did promise he would resurrect every human being so we can take our tragedies and use them to bless others exactly exactly absolutely folks if you have a thought it's 866-985-4255 toll free 866-985-4ALL we are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central and that means we're on right now and our website is christianquestions.com so embrace the testing as what God allows it to be and it's a test of our fidelity remember that's what the New Testament was written for that's who the New Testament was written to. Romans eight twenty eight to 39. We're going to break this into a couple of pieces. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. See, you, you look at that and you think, wait, 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 this, this sounds crazy. We, we, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
that doesn't sound like a good end result. It <laughs> no. doesn't sound like a happy thing. It doesn't sound like the thing you want to sign up for. <laughs> but then it says, but in all these things, we are overwhel- overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So through the slaughter of our human lives, mm-hmm. that's the conquering. See, embracing the pain because there is a reason for it, because there's an end result, because it brings the peaceable fruits of righteousness after the fact. So it's bigger. It's more than just the pain. Right. And that's what Jesus did. Mm. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what we need to do. Let's go back to... uh, So, Carol, I hope we've, we've touched on answering that question of yours very, very powerful question that you asked. Thank you for that. Let's go back to John Jorgensen. Remember, he laid out all of those situations where things were completely, totally, and utterly, unequivocally hopeless. All of those biblical situations. Right. This is my most favorite soundbite ever. Ever? Ever. Ever, ever. Let's listen. Now, everybody was ready to close the book on these stories. The end, game over. But if there's one thing we learn from the scriptures... It's that we can never place a period where God has placed a comma. Because when all other options have been worn out, when circumstances couldn't get worse, when everything else has failed, get ready because that is exactly where God shows up. Because Joseph became second in command. The Red Sea parted. Gideon won without lifting a weapon. Goliath's head was on a plate. Esther spoke and the king listened. Daniel tamed the lion. The oven felt like room temperature. Nineveh repented. Peter became the rock. Paul rejoiced. Twelve basketfuls were left over. Lazarus was just kidding. Timothy built a church. Abraham built a family. The youngest son came home to a party. The walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down. And Jesus Christ pulled off the resurrection defeating sin and death and the creation that had been marred so many years ago was now restored for all time. Boy, is that powerful. (laughs) And you know, when you you think about that, the 1 Corinthians 10.13 scripture we read that nothing has taken us that's common, that's not common to man, but you know, God provides a way of escape that we can bear it. That's a promise of hope. And, and it's the sacrifice of Jesus. And folks, God's interpretation of hope is not necessarily hope for this moment, but it's hope for eternity. It's bigger. And we have to realize that's the depth of the hope of God. So l- let's finish up Romans 8. Uh, we're in verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nor the tragedy of a child, nor anything, because God's plan is bigger than the moment. So what's our promise lesson here, Kathy, as we wrap up this segment? God promises us deliverance through testings and not from them. This is how we grow. Deliverance through testings, not from testings. Folks, embrace that the way we embrace the pain of our experiences and life can change. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Today we're discussing, does God really keep his promises? Coming up, big house, fancy car, great job, powerful friends. Is that the victory God promises? 
Find out next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Kathy sitting in for Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject today is, does God really keep his promises? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to sign up for CQ Rewind. And I've got to say something about the bonus material in this week's CQ Rewind. Last week, your program was on where to start yes. your Christian life. Yeah. And so often we start from a point of strength, like yeah. Monday, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that the bonus material this week addresses, you know, what about when you're kind of in the pits of despair? And how do you start then? And you will find out if you subscribe to the Rewind. Okay. It's a free service. Seek your Rewind. Uh, you can get it through the app or ChristianQuestions.com. Thanks for that, Kathy. All right. As we, as we wrap up this program now with this segment, what if God just is quiet? What if it's just too quiet from heaven to me? What do I do with that? Let's go to a soundbite, uh, When God is Silent, the Bible in My Life, because th- this is an important aspect of this whole understanding the powerful, promise-keeping God that we have. But the fact is, God's silence is many times a response. The Word of God says in Psalms that God wants us to be still and know that He is God. He's like, come on. I love you. I got your back. So even though you don't necessarily hear me or feel me, you don't have to doubt because I got you. Just be still. Be comfortable in this silence. Trust me. And there's a powerful, powerful message in, the, in that, in that soundbite. Even if it's silent, God is there. And, and, you know, two things. One quick personal story. I remember uh, my, my oldest daughter, Emily, when she was a teenager, she went through some, some, some tough times. And there was one time in particular where she had a hard time expressing herself when she was really, really, really upset about something. And I remember one specific day, she was probably about 14 or 15, she was just, just beside herself upset. And I went into her room, and I just asked her, I said, can I sit down? And she said, she nodded. She didn't say anything. (laughs) So she was sitting on her bed. I sat on the other end of her bed. And I sat there with her for either an hour, an hour and a half. And didn't say a word. Wow. We just sat in silence. And after that, she, she was able to better cope. And it just, it was the presence of dad. Mm. And folks, when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's not there. It's meaning means that he just wants us to realize that he's there in a different kind of way. God is like, just like Carol said, God is sitting on the edge of that child's bed. We are his sick, dying children. We're his sick, dying race that he loves dearly. And he's sitting quietly saying, in his silence, he's saying, it's okay. I've got this covered. You're going to see the glory later. You've got to mm. get through this part. It's okay. 
I love that picture of even picturing God when you pray, sitting on the edge of your bed. Just quietly. We have yeah. to learn to trust him where we can't trace him. Let's look at an example at the end of Stephen's life. Remember Stephen? He was stoned for his belief. Right. Okay. Was this a fulfillment of God's promise to protect him, being stoned <laughs> to death? Acts seven fifty-two to 58. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You have received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they they began gnashing their teeth at him. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This sounds like complete, total, and utter defeat. But it's not. It is actually a step to victory. Psalms one sixteen fourteen and 15. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And again, that's a... That's a that that's a hard thing to get your arms around. Precious in the sight of God is our death. <laughs> yes, because I always like to think that God promises to give us as much time as we need to develop the character, Christ Christ likeness character. And if we have died, then he's given us that time and hopefully we've been faithful. And if we're faithful, then he rejoices. And his promises to us are ultimately fulfilled, not just for a moment, but then for eternity. Mm. And that's the power of the God that we have, the trustworthy, promise-keeping God. He has a plan. He's had a plan right from the beginning. And 6,000 years after the plan started, you look around and you look at the world today and you say, what kind of plan is this? It's a complete disaster. And the answer to that is, yes, it is. Because part of my plan is to allow it to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So that once time to end the disaster comes and resurrection comes, you will know the meaning of godlessness. You will know it as a human being and as a race that has gone through it. And then you will be able to pay better attention to me, God Almighty. Mm. That is the power of the plan of the promise-keeping God that we have. So, uh, folks, if you have a thought, boy, now would absolutely be the time. 866-985-4255. Our victory, our protection, and our promises from God are all wrapped up in the simple task. (laughs) Not easy, but the simple task of being like Jesus. Every promise given is for the end result of heavenly glory. Matthew 10, 24-28. And look, this is... This is, not a, this is not a happy promise. The, the, what you're going to read here, Kathy, this is not one of those things you say, oh, good, sign me up for this one. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, though, when you wrote um, wrapped up in the simple task of being like Jesus, why did you choose those words, simple task? Because it's, it's, it's simple, it's simply defined. Be like Jesus. Walk in his footsteps. You know, think about walking through the snow, and okay. it's deep snow, and somebody goes in front of you, and you follow their footsteps. That's simple. It's not easy, but okay. it's simple. Right. It's simple because it's easy to define. 
be like Jesus, be selfless, be God, full of, of God's will and God's way and God's word. But it's not easy. Okay. It doesn't seem that simple either, <laughs> i got to say. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we'll change that. But anyway, okay. Matthew ten twenty four to 28. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather... Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And hell is actually in Gehenna, which is a symbol of eternal death. But, but here's what it's saying. This is a promise. This is Jesus expressing, look, you're not above me. And if they're going to call me, uh, you know, Lord of devils, then they're going to call you the same thing. If they're going to persecute me, then they're going to persecute you. This is a promise. <laughs> this is not the kind of promise you say, oh, bring me this one. Right. But it's a promise because walking in Jesus' footsteps requires the testing to be proven faithful so you can receive what God has in store. And it's not necessarily all good and and, and happy right now all the time. And again, we go back to Carol's question. When you have dying and sick children, it's so hard to get your arms around that because it is so utterly tragic. But there's so much more to it because that's a moment. It's not the end of their life. It's the end of their earthly life now. And yes, they sleep in death. But resurrection is an opportunity for eternal life for that child, for every child, for every man, woman, and child who ever lived. That's the promise of God. God truly gives from the depth uh, um, of your Christian heart and then receive. Start again. What we have to do is we have to give. We have to give from the depth of our Christian heart. And that's the way we, we receive God's promise. If we're not willing to give, then we're not in line to get. It, what do we give? We have to give our will. We have to give our desire. We have to give our time. We have to give our talent. We have to give our actions. We have to give everything that we, we, we can to be like Jesus. Yes, it's a lot of work. But folks, I'll tell you, trying it. is really kind of cool because you're trying to be you know when I grow up I want to be like and you always pick the hero yeah well I want to be like Jesus I do me too when I grow up I'm 57 I haven't grown up yet (laughs) Philippians 4 16 to 19 for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs not that I seek the gift itself but I seek the profit which increases to your account But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Aphrodite what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now that last line is a tremendous promise. Mm -hmm. My God will supply all your needs. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Our needs are supplied from God's spiritual inventory. It says your needs will be supplied according to his riches. Let's read the promise. And are not based on our personal wants. How often does a child want what they don't need? Oh, more often than not. Right. And how often does a good parent look at that and say, not right now, this is what you need. Right. 
A good parent does that. That's what God does for us. That is the parenting of God Almighty. Let's go back to John Jorgensen, The Wall, and that that utter inspiration that we heard in the last soundbite of wherever there's hopelessness, that's the time when God's will and God's power and God's care kick in. So let's hear the conclusion of his story. With God, what seems like a hopeless situation is not only possible, it's favorable. Because only God can turn a mess into a message. Only God can turn a trial into a triumph, a test into a testimony, and a victim into a victory. His power is made perfect in weakness. So let us rejoice in our trials and hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Because he who promised is faithful, was faithful, and will always be faithful, no matter how hopeless the situation. Now we know God's promises always have a context and a purpose, and sometimes that purpose is beyond what we're capable of seeing. So the bottom line is he is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Kathy, let's finish up with Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are, my way, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So, Kathy, in a few words, the biggest lesson for you today in God the Promise Keeper. Um, Ask in accordance with His will. Seek His will and His ways in your life, and it will be given to you. Folks, God is the ultimate promise keeper. He is as trustworthy. He wrote the book on trustworthiness. Let us look at him through the context of his word, through the context of his plan, through the context of his will, and then see the promises for what they truly are, the greatest promises ever given to any human being, anywhere, anytime. We hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We have certainly enjoyed being with you. It's been a wonderful subject to look at and to to dwell on the idea that God keeps his promises. What about you? Until next week for Kathy and Rick and Christian Questions. God keeps promises. Always remember that. Until next week, think about it.